Hear now the word of Almighty God. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for speaking to us so clearly in your word, for inspiring the research of Luke and the witnesses he interviewed so that we might know how things happened. And we pray that we would grow by the example and the faith of those who were there present when they happened. So we ask that your your word would take effect in us in this hour. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Teenage Mary receives the word from the the heavenly messenger that that she will be um, the woman from whom the serpent crusher promised in the garden will come. She has been informed very clearly that the Davidic king promised so long ago will be her son. And then she's even been given more than that. She's being shown that the father of this Messiah King will not be her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, of the line of David, but will rather be God himself. And that the baby will be of the Holy Spirit's conceiving so that she will be the the God-bearer, as the early creeds put it. So a lot to dump on someone, a lot for a, a teenage girl to hear. It's probably 
more than most teenage girls can handle to find out they're pregnant. But she's been given so much more to think about. And she's also been given a suggestion. Elizabeth's miraculously pregnant too. So she travels to see her. I think Calvin's right in saying she's not traveling with the intention of gadding aimlessly, which is just an old way of saying just shooting the breeze, just chatting about being pregnant. Rather, she's traveling so that each of them might better magnify God and have some fresh cause to strengthen the other in the faith. I think that's it. Mary needs her faith strengthened. She already has faith. Elizabeth makes that clear, that she had faith as soon as the angel spoke. But it's a wise thing to know when your faith is weak and when your faith is there, but perhaps prone to wavering. And so Mary wants her faith strengthened. She also perhaps thinks, what a way for me to strengthen Elizabeth's faith. And so she travels and she gets there and this worship service ensues. Three people, I'm sorry, my my math's wrong. Four people are in our text and three of them worship the fourth. Now, I'm not going to do more with this, but I'll, I'll leave it to you to think about how this piece of God's word talks about four individuals and there's not a a ranking of who is more person and more alive. There are four individuals here and two of them are in the womb, but all of them are viewed as equally a person. And there's a lot we could draw from that. There's a lot we can draw from the fact that we find one of those those fetuses uh, having faith in the womb. That's not a normal thing. But as we've just heard earlier last week, if you read the previous passage, with God, nothing is impossible. So that while that's not the normal thing, with John we find that God has worked faith in an infant heart, a faith that responded to the presence of Christ. And that should give us cause to have hope and expectation that God can do that. Perhaps he does it more often than we know. That's something we should pray for while not taking for granted. But the thing we want to focus on this morning is the worship itself. These three worship Christ. And the text would challenge us as we encounter Emmanuel, God with us, that our response should be like theirs. Our response should be, Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. The text shows us a worship going on, but it doesn't simply call us to worship. It also shows us Uh, certain things that we should expect of ourselves as we approach worship. How should our hearts be displayed as we enter into worship? And so this morning, I want to think about 
the call to worship or God's word from a mother's womb. I want to think about the response of humble worship, and I want to think of the response of God-centered worship. So first, the call to worship God's word, we find declared in 41 that it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leapt in her womb, and then Elizabeth puts a strong interpretation on that. We might be tempted to say babies jump around in the womb. They kick and they stretch. And sometimes they hear a voice and they respond to it. It can, it can be quite enjoyable uh, if, if you're not the mother who's being kicked, maybe. Uh, to, to watch a sibling say something and see the response. Oh, that's a foot. I saw the toes. And we might be inclined to think that's all that's happening here. Mary walks in and she says something and, well, they've probably never been in the same... Actually, we know they've never been in the same room together, John and Mary, because Mary just found out that Elizabeth's pregnant. Uh, But we might say, well, that doesn't matter. Maybe Mary's voice sounds like Elizabeth's. Or maybe it's just a really nice voice and so John just kicks like any old baby would kick. But that is not what... Elizabeth herself puts on this. She would have been used to John kicking. She's six months pregnant. She would have known what it was like. And she's old. I'm sorry. She's an older woman. And on the older end of things. And she's been around a lot of pregnant people. So she's not a fool. Uh, But that's not what she thinks this is. She says in verse 44, when the Holy Spirit himself fills Elizabeth and she speaks accordingly, this is what her inspired conversation includes. She declares who Jesus is without Mary saying anything. And then she says, for. She's going to tell us how she knows. For the Holy Spirit came upon me and I am now prophesying. She doesn't say that. Verse 44, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded, the babe leapt for joy. Elizabeth understands that John was doing something special here. Now, Elizabeth also knows the promise that came at the beginning of Luke 1 to Zacharias in the temple. There, God had declared to Zacharias in verse 15, you'll find this, that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And and then, of course, Zacharias probably wrote all of this out on a piece of slate or something for Elizabeth during that six months of silence. Surely he has told her as much as he can of what the angel told him. And so she knows that John is going to be a herald for the king. He's going to be the the prophet who comes to make the way straight for the Messiah. And so she understands. Without Mary saying, hello, I'm pregnant. All Mary says is, hello. And John makes it clear to Elizabeth from the womb, the king is here. That's how Elizabeth understands that. 
she, she understands that John is calling them to worship. He is, as it were, a prophet stomping his foot like the medieval heralds used to take that giant stick and bang it on the floor and say, hear ye, hear ye, here comes the king. John is doing that. Elizabeth understands it that way. She's filled with the spirit to understand it that way. Here we have a call, a call to see the king is here and the response that is given is worship. Now we we see that response in terms of a humble worship and it's, it's humble from all the parties involved. The preacher's humility is seen in John himself. John doesn't, in the womb, have an attitude of, I'm the older cousin. He indicates that someone greater has arrived. And he is joyful of that thing. That is a humble attitude. In other words, John already has a heart that says he must increase, but I must decrease. He'll say that 30 years later, but he already has it here. And his heart of humility influences his mother's heart as well, because we find responding to that with worship The mature woman of God. That's the nicer way to say it, isn't it? I slipped up and said old. She's a mature woman of God in more ways than one. One of those ways is in godliness. She has been one who, the beginning of the chapter, told us she studied God's law. She loved it. She sought to keep it. She's a righteous woman. And yet, she humbles herself here in this context. Not only that, she's older and she's well past the age of having a baby and she's six months pregnant. This is her moment. Couldn't we understand that? That she might want a moment, a moment for people to acknowledge What God has done for her, I'm not trying to make it too egotistical here. God has done the miraculous thing. Let's celebrate it together. She's having her day in the spotlight. Here comes a a cousin of hers from the country. Celebrate with me. Maybe the young cousin's the one that's supposed to be throwing the the baby shower. We, We could expect that Elizabeth might want the focus to be on her. Or on her son. And yet, as this teenage girl walks in the room pregnant, and she's not even married, Elizabeth doesn't respond with jealousy or pride. She responds with celebration and humble worship of the king. Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed are you. Not, uh, don't you see how blessed I am? He has removed my curse. 
He has removed her curse, her shame. But blessed are you. Why is Mary blessed? Is it Elizabeth saying, blessed are you, Mary? You're so fertile. That's great. No. Blessed are you, Mary. You're going to make a great mom. You're so, you deserve this. You've waited so long. No, of course not that. What is the blessing? Verse 43, Elizabeth makes it clear. When she says, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's saying, blessed are you, Mary, because the Lord is here. Because what's in your womb is no mere, it's no mistake, and it's no mere child. But it is the Lord, and he has come. So how could Mary be anything but blessed to be in such a position? But she also is so humble as to praise God for Mary's faith. Mary's blessed because of who's inside of her. But verse 45, she's also blessed because she believed. Who's going to believe this? Elizabeth, maybe, and and Zacharias, the last people to believe Mary until an angel comes and tells Matthew, I'm sorry, until an, I did that last week too. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the problem. Until the angel comes and tells Joseph that this is Christ, perhaps no one else believes Mary. But Mary believed right away. Blessed are you. The humility. And then the only reference Elizabeth makes to herself, the only me, me that comes into Elizabeth's worship. Verse 43. In essence, what she's saying is, I'm not worthy. How is it that the Lord, in the form of the the mother who's carrying him, has, has even deigned to come into my house. I am not worthy. That is a humble worship from this mature woman of God. She humble, uh, her worship is humble wonder. It's marveling. Just astonishment. And when you come to worship or when you sit with your Bible and you're doing your devotions, Do you have the humility to marvel that in your case, what you're reading is the very word of God and in it, you hear Christ speak. It was Christ himself who taught us that when we read the word of God, we are hearing God because instead of saying the scriptures say, He says, God says. Do you marvel at that? And does it it ingrain itself into you in every area of life, and especially when you come to worship? Humble worship. And then we have the teenage woman of God, the other end of the age spectrum. And she too displays humble worship. 
She responds to Elizabeth's praise of herself. How? With pride? Yes, I am. Hashtag blessed. I, I, I am that woman. Of all the women in all the history of the world, God chose me. All of which would be true if she said it, wouldn't it? She doesn't do that. She doesn't respond in pride. She doesn't, she doesn't think, as sometimes we do in temptation, she, she received the word from the angel saying the exact same thing. She wasn't proud then. How many of us a few days later, with a little more time to think, and then hearing someone else say it, would respond with pride the second time round? Temptation gets us often. Maybe it didn't the first time, but it does the second time. But no, she doesn't have that pride. She doesn't fall into it. Her response remains the same as before, not giving into pride, but responding to John's call to worship with humble faith. The humble faith that picks up in, uh, in her song, we'll look at in a moment, but we see the humble faith that magnifies God not self. Verse 48, we have that humility emphasized. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. What maidservant? Me, says Mary. Me, I am the lowly servant or possibly slave. It's the same word, remember. Uh, How low is she going here? The, The lowly slave of God. And he has considered me. That's a humble worship. We too need to pursue humble worship. Our worship, it, it's not about me. And I mean that two ways. It, it's literally not about me. But that, that's what we all ought to be saying, isn't it? It's not about you either. And it's not even about us. Oh, we are the, the wise who have chosen to come into the presence of God and be right with Jesus. We are the smart ones. We are the holy ones. We're not like them out there. These types of attitudes can subtly eat away at our hearts. And you'd, you'd better believe that that will eat away at our worship. And it will not be true worship. We need humility in our worship to view ourselves rightly, that we are the lowly servants to whom it is granted each Sunday together to enter into God's presence. In our worship, therefore, he must increase and we must decrease. And I'm not going to try to apply that specifically to you but I guarantee that each of us has some area of pride, some area of confusion, perhaps, about what it is we're doing here in worship, where we need to decrease ourselves so that he might increase. This can especially be hard for church officers, those who serve as elders or deacons, who have a part up front in worship, 
what a hard thing and temptation that can be. We need to take that to heart. It can be especially difficult also for musicians who are leading the congregation in song. Satan will use our our gifts and our callings especially to get in the way of the worship of God and to cause us to make much of ourselves. And so we need to pursue a humble worship as well. We see the response of a humble worship, but we also see the response of a God-centered worship. And really, this is, the, this is the key, isn't it? If our worship is to be humble, then it has to be God-centered. And with our New Testament hindsight, we can even qualify specifically Christ-centered. It can't simply be God-centered in the way that in some ways, when you go to a conservative uh, Jewish synagogue, for example, there's, there's a lot of God-centric stuff in it, but specifically Christ-centered, the cross, the incarnation, the work and righteousness of Jesus, this all needs to be central. Here, we look at Mary's song And what we find is worship that is God-centered and centered around the fact that the Messiah King has come and that God is doing what he had promised to do long before. And it, it all centers on one word, the first line of this wonderful song of Mary tells us what she is doing with the entire song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. If only that phrase could define everything we do in worship. Because that's the point of worship. To magnify the Lord. Now, magnify, which simply means to make big. Obviously, Mary doesn't mean here that she's somehow making God bigger and greater than he already is. He's infinite, infinite in holiness and righteousness and truth, holiness and infinite in his might and wisdom, infinite in all his attributes. We can never make God bigger than he is. But when Mary and indeed David multiple times in the Psalms says that they are going to magnify the Lord, make the Lord bigger, what they mean is make much of the Lord. Make a big deal out of him. Express not a little praise, not a little vision of him. But they're going to try before their own hearts and before anyone who can hear. They want to make God big. Big before our eyes. And the reality is we can never make God too big in our worship. If we are making God big, the bigger we make him in our hearts and together and before others, the bigger we make him 
We will never run out of bigness to express. His infinite love, his infinite mercy, his infinite steadfast loving kindness, his infinite justice, his infinite rule, his infinite wisdom, and on and on. We can never make him too big in worship. And we will never exhaust his bigness in worship. Because God, God is infinite. And so Mary is simply setting herself this task to push against the restraints of her sinful heart to express greatly who God is. And that is our task in worship as well. Now, how does she go about making much of God? Well, she does this by rejoicing in the Savior. Verse 47. The best way to make much of God is to make much of what He makes much of. And when we read Scripture, two things are what God presents himself as much in. He's the creator God. And he's the redeemer God. So if we want to make much of God, those are the two best places to go. Mary is right to jump right in here with, he is the savior, verse 47. God, my savior. Mary Mary, indeed, as we look at these verses, 47 and 48, Mary doesn't need to wait 30 years to hear Jesus declare in Luke 4 that his salvation is one that sets prisoners free, cares for those who suffer. She doesn't need to wait for 30 years for her son to declare that blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mary has studied the Old Testament well. And she knows what Savior this is. The one who considers those of lowly estate. The one who feeds the hungry. The one who brings justice. The one who brings low the proud in the imaginations of their own hearts. She already knows what type of savior he is. He's a savior for those who are low and pathetic and needy. And she will make much of that. Such a one is worth making much of. He saw us in our lowly estate. He didn't leave us there. She praises him as the Savior, and she praises him and makes much of him by remembering his attributes and his actions. If you want to make much of God and you're struggling with that, start thinking about his, his attributes, his characteristics of who he is, or think about his actions. Mary blends the two things together here. What a great way to remember that it's not just about me. 
Because when we remember who God is, his attributes, we are looking at the universal God. The God of the galaxies. The God of all things. Not just my personal Jesus. And when we think of what he has done in history, we're reminded that it's not just he loved me only. I'm so great. But that he loves a people, his people, and he saves them. And I get to be one of them. The me part's not taken out of the equation. It's set in its proper place. We, we get to serve and worship such a savior. So she thinks of his attributes and his works. He is mighty. Verse 49, verses 51 and 52 Mary knows this from the Old Testament. He's the almighty God, the Lord of armies. He's also holy, verses 49 and 55. And she knows this too. He's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Lord God almighty, the thrice holy God. That's the superlative in other words. He's the superlative of holiness. And he is one, as Habakkuk had taught Mary in his prophecy, one who is so holy that he cannot permit evil in his sight without doing something about it. Punishing it or, praise God, redeeming it. He's holy but he's also merciful. Mary draws this out in verses 50 and 52 through 54. And she knew he was merciful because she, like you last week, had repeated again and again in corporate worship, for his mercies endure forever. Verse 55, she concludes then, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. It is because he is so holy that he will never go back on his word. Therefore, he will, as he did here, kept his word to Abraham and to his seed from generation to generation. Beloved, if If God is so holy that he will never go back on his word. And we see this with with Abraham and with the patriarchs of old. Then we can certainly know his promise of salvation is not a vain promise. That this savior who saves the poor, the needy, who sets the prisoner free, who fills those who are hungry with good things. This one, when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. When he says to us, confess your sins and I will be faithful and just to forgive them. When he says, whoever looks at me on the cross, whoever looks Beholds the Son of Man lifted up, 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. If we, like Mary, are reflecting on his attributes and on the history of how he has acted with his people, we can have a certainty in our hearts. His salvation is for me. It's sufficient. I do not have to fear him going back on it. What a reason to magnify the Lord. God has indeed revealed himself even more clearly to us than with a jump from the last Old Testament prophet in his mother's womb. We read that in Hebrews 1. He's revealed himself through his son, who is heir of all things. Jesus, Emmanuel, has come. He is the eternal son. Will we respond with humble and God-centered worship? And I want to challenge that in terms of two types of worship. Our corporate worship and our personal devotion. Because I, I think the text leaves that open for us to see. On the one hand... A called, spirit-filled prophet of God gives the call to worship. That sounds like a public worship, doesn't it? On the other hand, Mary and Elizabeth would never have thought of that as corporate worship. They would have viewed it as simply the two of them worshiping God together in the home. And so I think it's right for us to apply to both things. How we worship here ought to also affect how we go out and honor God with our lives. So our worship here needs to be humble and needs to be Christ-centered. But so does everything else we do. So does men's breakfast. The conversation ought to be humble if someone overhears it. And it ought to be Christ-centered. So does the, the women's group that means It ought to be Christ-centered and humble. So two people sitting on a porch having tea and prayer together ought to be humble and Christ-centered. Everything we do, deacon meetings and elder meetings, with all the bureaucracy sometimes it feels like are tied to those meetings, but if someone were to listen in, would they say, if you could only define those church meetings with two things. Same thing for our annual meeting. Would they say humble and Christ-centered? Beloved, let this be the heart of all of our life. And may it be so coming out of our times together in worship. Emmanuel has come to save his people from their sins to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed by sin and the fall, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to regard his servants in their need, and to bless us eternally. Therefore, dear friends, magnify the Lord with me.